this place. Revelation chapter 5, if you want to turn there this morning. The book of Revelation here, this is a heavenly scene. This is a future look. This is a prophetic look. This isn't something that has happened. Well, it has happened in the eyes of God because God's already there, has already seen it. But it hasn't happened in our lives just yet. This is a prophetic event. Just like there were many prophecies given in the Old Testament, they were fulfilled in the New Testament. This is a prophecy given here in the New Testament to be fulfilled in the New Kingdom. Over here in chapter 1, we see the description of the author of the seven letters that will be written. He is Alpha and Omega. <laughs> the first and the last. The beginning and the end. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. He says, and I have the keys of hell and of death. So he tells us who he is. And then in second and third chapter, we have the letters to the seven churches. That church is you and I. That church is today. This is the church age. This is the church kingdom. We are the bride of Christ. In chapter four, we move here into the very throne room of God as the door was open and the first voice, which I heard a trumpet talking, said, come hither and I will show thee things which, which must be hereafter. So we move into the throne room of God. And then in chapter five, we have a, vi a vision here of this future event, just like the, the law, the Old Testament law and all the Old Testament prophecies were given during the dispensation period of the law they were fulfilled during this dispensation period of grace and now as we live in the church age in this dispensation period of grace this has been written and it will be fulfilled in the kingdom of God it will be fulfilled and you and I everyone redeemed of the Lamb of God washed in the blood of the Lamb of God everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life is going to enjoy what we're about to read about amen it says beginning verse number one Y'all forgive me if I sound like a guide. I'm trying to get that out of my voice. This was our lines for the horseman scene. And I keep going back to that old guide voice. But I'm trying to get it out where I can just read the scriptures this morning. And you can hear what the word of God says. I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside. Sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open the book, to, to read the book, neither to look thereon. One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on earth. I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 
Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. Heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. The four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. There are so many things right here in, in this passage that we could take time and look at this morning. We, we, we see the things there in verse number eight. Listen, have you ever wondered if God hears your prayer? Go ahead and raise your hand. Have you ever wondered if God hears your prayer? Have you ever wondered if your prayer matters to God? Have you ever wondered if what you have to say is important to God? Well, there's your answer. God keeps every prayer of every saint in heaven in golden bowels. Your prayers matter to God. He, he said, we, we look there, we see new songs and we see uh, a new worship. We see this, this new world. We, we see praise without limitation. We see praise and glory without hesitation, without reservation. We're just going to be free to praise him. There's not going to be any sin. There's not going to be any devil. There's not going to be any withdrawal. All what we see is the freedom to openly worship. And, and then we see the lion of the tribe of Judah take on the form of a slain lamb for one reason and one reason only. And that is to redeem us by thy blood. This morning, I want to talk for just a few minutes about the importance of the blood. Father, thank you so much for the blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that while we were yet sinners, you climbed up on that old rugged cross. You poured your blood out on the ground. You scooped it all up. You carried it to heaven. You sprinkled it upon the mercy seat of God. And on each day, as each one of us came to you and said, Father, forgive me, you took one drop of the blood, washed away every sin. All things passed away. Behold, all things became new. Our name was written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a seal upon our forehead. Forehead, and the devil cannot touch us without permission from our Father, God. I want to tell you, thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. God, thank you for being in the midst of us, Father. I pray you'd take this message this morning. I pray, God, you'd speak to me first, God, that you might speak through me, that we might walk out of here a blessed people, that our light might truly shine into a dark and dying world, that people would see Christ in us and Christ through us. God, we pray above all, may you be pleased with everything that takes place in this day, on this this house at this time God we love you father we thank you and we praise you in Jesus name God's people said amen. amen I have told you many times that when I walk home from when I walk in the door from church I take these notes and these notes tend to grow but I take these notes and I throw them in the trash I've told you that a lot of times my wife is a witness to it because I've always said if God wants me to preach a message again he'll give it to me again if he wants me to preach on a subject again, then he'll give me the subject again. <clears throat> well, one, one thing that, that you need to understand, I throw those away, but I don't delete my computer. So all of the studying and all the things and all the preparatory work and, and the pages where I gather and put things together stay in my computer. Now, used to, I, at the very most, I might have a three-by-five card with three points on it, and that's all I use. But I have gotten more and more into putting notes there. I understand it's not like traveling preaching. It's not like evangelism. It's not like going out to where they've never heard it before. You can tell the same story about your life. It doesn't matter they've never heard it. But this is God's people, and God has put me here with you every week, and you don't need to hear the same old thing over and over, right? So it keeps me honest. It keeps there. So I put more and more things in my notes. So one of the things, and anybody that, that 
has ever taught or ever preached will, will understand what I'm talking about. But, but going into this week, I had absolutely no idea what God wanted me to preach about. Now, I walk out of here on Sundays with one thought in mind, Sunday's coming. God, your people need a message. Thank you for that one. Take it, bless us, help us not to forget it, use it, change our lives, but Sunday's coming. What are you having to preach? And I start studying. And usually by Thursday, I have some direction, have ideas. And Thursday is a study day. I usually study from sometime before daylight to 2 or 3 o'clock. A lot of times time Robin gets home in the afternoon, I'm, I'm still studying. It's just a study day for me. But this Thursday, my son needed help, and he asked me to go help him. And knowing that ahead, I had studied ahead during the week trying to find, God, what is it you want me to preach on this morning? And, and here, here's reality, and here's what I was talking about. Anybody that's ever preached or taught will know. You can take a subject, and you go, man, that's good. You know what I'm if you read it in there, you're going to go, man, that's good. Man, man, that's good. And you start trying to create a message. Man, that's really good stuff. And you turn on your, your computer and you start typing things and pulling notes. And, and, and to be honest, it becomes work. It becomes labor. I can tell you exactly what it's like. It's like writing a term paper. Anybody ever wrote a term paper before? That's exactly what it's like. It's no different in Bible college when I had to write lessons. Your outline had to be perfect. Your content, your information, the things you gather, that's what you're graded by. But those aren't messages from God. That, that's something put together. And what happens is it may be important and you think it's great. But when you start trying to put a message there, God will close that door. And you find yourself laboring and it doesn't work. And what you know is that's not the message for the people. That's the message for Donald Yancey. Sit down, shut up, pay attention, son. God's telling you something. Take that and study it for your life. But it's Thursday night and I still don't have a message. I go to bed Thursday night and I, I, I pretty much, it's just life. I wake up. I see pretty much every hour on the clock during the night. I'm going to see one, two, three, four, five at some point during the night. About 1.30 in the morning, I woke up. I'm laying there praying. God, you woke me up so many times in the middle of the night. You give me a message. I'm not awake because you woke me up. I, I'm awake because in all honesty, I'm a little anxious right here. Tomorrow's Friday. I don't, I don't have anything down. I, I don't know what you want. And, and I lay there and prayed, God, what, what do you want your people? What do you want your people to know? And, I fell back asleep. I woke up again a little before five and I laid there praying. I said, God, it's Friday morning. It's Friday morning. I got up. I got my Bible. I read. I found some good things and I tried putting them down, but they weren't it. That they weren't what I was looking for. I just, I just kept looking and trying to find God. What, what is it? And turned to another passage. And, you know, here, here in Nehemiah, man, one of my favorite books of the Bible. Surely there's something in Nehemiah. And there is. And it's changing my life. But, but it wasn't to preach. And, and I ended up in, in the book of Revelation. Having no idea what, what it was that I was going to preach on until I read about the blood. And when I read about the blood, it started clicking. And, and those of you that have ever taught know that once the Holy Spirit shows up, son, you better be a speed typer. Because he starts pouring it on. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if he wakes you up at 3 in the morning, don't think you're going to get up tomorrow morning and write it down because he will not give it to you again. You get your lazy backside up and you go to typing and you'll have a message. But God told me before one time when I missed it the next morning, I was begging him to give it back to me. He said, if it didn't matter enough to you to get up, it ain't going to matter enough for me to give it to you again. So I learned to get up. So the Holy Spirit starts pouring things out and you're typing, you're writing, you're trying to put it down. And you begin just shorthand, putting 
little images to help you remember to get back and putting verses and writing things down. And, and God begins to show up. And, and so God began talking about the blood. And I had made it down to the third point of the blood. And I had gone up there and I said, little tentative title. Titles are a big deal when you're trying to do a message. Sometimes I get, start with it most of the time. It's hard to think of a title. And I'm thinking power of the blood. That'd be a good one. I put power of the blood up there at the top. Well, by the time I got to the third point, I'm thinking, man, that would be good. Three things about the blood or however many points God gives me this morning. Five things about the blood, whatever it is. And I thought, wait a minute. Three things about the blood. Three things about the blood. That sounds familiar. So I went into documents in my computer. And I went to that little search bar and I said, three things about, and my computer filled it in for me. The blood. So I clicked on it. <coughs> Excuse me. March the 30th, 2014, I preached a message entitled, Three Things About the Blood. It was my sixth message as the pastor of Faith Baptist Church. March 28th, 2015, exactly one year later, I preached on the power of the blood. And then I found other messages about um, the significance or, or, or different titles. There, there was things in there that, that I kept seeing about, about the blood and the necessity of the blood and the power of the blood. And, and as I looked through those things, I noticed something unbeknown to me. I'm very thankful those things are in the computer. Because what I realized is that just prior to Easter in the month of March, it is almost consistent that God has spoken to me about the blood. And that God has brought a message to us in this church about the importance of the blood. Easter is not bunnies. Easter is not chocolate. Easter is not rabbit eggs. Easter is not gathering and, and, and egg hunts. Easter is the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. The blood of the Lamb of God. It is the blood that was shed at Calvary's cross. Easter is about my sin paid for. My soul saved. Easter is about eternal life. When he walked out of that empty grave and conquered death, hell, and the grave. And, and what I saw was in the month of March, God has continually given us a message about the importance of the blood. So this morning, that is our message, the importance of the blood. If there's anything that the devil does not want Christians to talk about, if there's anything that the devil wants taken out of the scriptures, if there's anything that the devil does not want preachers to preach on, to talk about, or to share others, if there's anything he doesn't want you sharing at work, sharing with your neighbors, it is the blood. Because without the blood, there's no hope. I want to look for just a few minutes at a few things that the blood does for you and I. Number one, it, it makes atonement. It, it purifies. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned, right? They, they ate the forbidden fruit that God had told them not to. And when they did, sin entered into the world. Genesis chapter 3, God came and he killed an animal. And he took that animal. He took the skins of that animal. And he made a covering for Adam and Eve. Because at that point, they knew they were naked. But, but he used the blood for an atonement of sin. Leviticus chapter number 17, verse 11, says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. For the past two weeks, really the past several weeks, we, we've been reading the Bible through in a year. And we've seen somebody go ahead and say amen. The blood of the rams and the lambs and the bulls and the goats and the sheep and, and, and the first fruits and, and, and the turtle dove. Somebody say Amen. 
<clears throat> the only purpose of the shedding of all that blood throughout all that weeks of reading was to make atonement for sins. The second thing that we see there in the blood in the book of Genesis is that it is the blood that speaks as a testimony. It is the blood that can speak for you or it is the blood that can speak against you. Cain and Abel, they were taught how to worship God. They were taught about the importance of the blood. They were, taught, they, were, they were taught how to do a sacrifice and the blood upon the altar for the sacrifice. But Cain was like many of us. And he said, too much trouble. I just do it my way. Besides, look at what I made. Isn't it beautiful? Look at what I did, God. I, I came to you with an offering and I created all this. So Cain decided to do it his way. And God said, I'm not having that. See, that, that's important in our lives. God's will, God's way, God's time. Cain did it Cain's will, Cain's way, Cain's time. God said, I'm not having that. <coughs> so, <coughs> excuse me, y'all have any trouble with pollen? <coughs> Glory to God for the rain, but it ain't working out for me just yet. So, so <coughs> Cain, out of anger, the first time we see blood spilled, it, over anger is in Genesis 4, 8, when Cain talked with his brother Abel, or Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Verse number 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And Cain gets the smart mouth with God. Anybody ever done that? Oh, I have. God took me to the book of Job and clarified some things with me for three chapters. Who do you think you are? You can get smart mouth God if you want to, and he's very patient, he's very kind, he's very long-suffering, he understands the hurt, but there'll come a time when he'll say, that's enough of that. He said, I, 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 I know not. Cain, Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? But look at the voice of the blood. What hast thou done? The voice of what? Thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. So the blood speaks, thank you very much, I appreciate that. The, the blood speaks a, a, as a testimony. The third thing I want to look at real quickly is that it is the blood that identifies. In the Old Testament, it, it was the blood, it was the sacrifice. It, it, God used it to identify the Hebrew children as the children of God. Now, we know the story. We just finished reading it all together in Genesis, but I'm going to take a minute to bump into it anyway. God heard the prayers of the Hebrew nation as they wanted deliverance from Egypt, and God called Moses from the burning bush. He sent him to Pharaoh and told Pharaoh that God said, let my people go, and he said, who is God? And God said, well, let me show you a couple things. Let, let, let me introduce myself to the old boy. And so he sends the flies and the lice and the... And, and, and the in the darkness of night and, and the locusts. And he sends all of the plagues. But God had one final plague. And it was the death of the firstborn. So God told Moses, you tell the Hebrew people to go out and kill the lamb. Sacrifice a lamb unto me. They are to eat the flesh thereof. If the lamb's too big and the household's too small, they can do it with their neighbor. But here's the key part. 
take the blood and put the blood on the doorpost and on the lentil that the blood may be applied, which by the way, that's a picture of the cross. You put blood here, it runs a little bit. You put blood here, it runs a little bit. You put blood here and it drips a little bit and you get a pre-image of the cross. But he said, you tell them to take and put the blood. And here's what happened. The death angel is gonna pass by. And when the death angel comes through the land of Egypt and, and he comes by the Egyptians and he doesn't see the blood, the firstborn of every household is gonna die. But there's another important part of that story. Anybody in the children of God listening? If a Hebrew man decided, I'm not doing that. <clears throat> if a Hebrew man decided, I'm a Hebrew, I'm the children of God, I pray, I, I don't need to do that. And that Hebrew man did not put the blood on the door, then when the death angel came by, firstborn would die. See, here's something really important to remember. The death angel did not come by and look at the color of the skin. The death angel didn't come by and look at the nationality of the Hebrew nation. He didn't come by and look at the size of the house or, or the money that was spent or the blessings that they had. The death angel wasn't looking for race. He wasn't looking for, for who lived in the house. If that were the case, then the blood would have been useless. He would have just passed by every household that had Hebrews in it. But, but when the death angel passed by, there was one thing he was looking for, one thing only, and that was the blood. And when he saw the blood, it identified that household as the children of God. It was the presence of the blood that caused death to pass over unto life. Jesus Christ came. He fulfills the sacrifice with his own blood once and for all, for whosoever will. Let him come. You and I today, we're, we're under the new covenant. We're under the new covenant, which is written and signed by God in the blood of Jesus Christ. Today, it's still the blood that identifies the family of God. It's still all about the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it is that sets you and I apart. That's what it is that, that redeems us. It is the presence of the blood upon our lives that death will pass over us unto eternal life. We have no fear of the second death. I have no fear of the first because the first death, all it does is ushers me absent from the body into the presence of the living God. So we have no fear about death. The, the blood of Jesus is not, not just any blood. It's a holy blood. It's a sacred blood. It's a cleansing blood. It's a forgiving blood. It's, it's a sanctifying blood. It's a precious blood. Sacred. It is an identifying blood. The blood on you and I identifies us as children of God. What makes us children of God is the application of the blood of God. Say, but wait a minute. God doesn't have blood. Correction. God did not have a body and God did not have blood. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number one, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For them would they have not not have ceased to be offered because if the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a remembrance again made of sins every year. See, that, that's what we've been reading about for the past few weeks. Leviticus, now I know we're doing numbers and numbering the people, but all through Leviticus, that, that's what we were, we were reading about, the shadow of things to come. In verse number four, it says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body 
hast thou prepared me. So, so Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, ha has a body like you and I, but, but God himself is the father of that body. Why it was so important. Why it's so important that Jesus be born of a virgin. Had Jesus been born of a man like any of us, then sin would have entered in through that seed in the blood. But, but because he was born of God, it is the seed of God that the Holy Spirit took and placed there inside of Mary's womb. Therefore, the blood that flows through Emmanuel's veins is a holy blood. So, so we've been studying on Wednesday nights for more than a year now in the book of Acts, working our way through Acts chapter 20 a few weeks ago. We were in Acts chapter 28, and the apostle Paul was addressing the, the, the elders, the bishops, the pastors of the church at Ephesus. And he said, take heed therefore unto yourselves, to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, not just any blood. It's a sacred blood. Another thing that the blood of Jesus Christ is not, it's not a spilled blood. It's a shed blood, and there's a difference. In the Old Testament, you had the rams and the lambs and the sheep and the goats. That blood was spilled. Jesus said in John chapter 10, beginning verse 15, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. There's a key phrase right there. I lay down my life for the sheep. Not somebody took it and we just dedicated it or donated it. I lay down my life. Other sheep I have, boy, this is a huge one for us Gentiles. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. He's talking to the Jews. And he's telling the Jew, you ain't the big cheese on the block no more. I got some other sheep. You know those Samaritans you hate? My children. You know those are going to come along in 2023 in America? My children. You know those over in China? My children. You know those that the evangelists go out and preach to? My children. God said, I got some other sheep. They're not of this fold. And them also must I bring. They shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Verse number 17, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. Those guards didn't kill Jesus Christ. Pilate didn't sentence him to death. That was already done in the portals of time before the foundations of the world. That was already set in motion by God himself. God said, this is the purpose I came here for. This is why I'm here, to shed my blood. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So, so the blood of Jesus Christ is not a spilled blood like that of the sheep that were killed and it spilled out. It is a freely given blood shed for the remission of sin by the Son of God himself to identify us, to, to purify us, to, to speak as a testimony for those whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. If you call on the Father... Without respect, of, when you call, when, if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by the tradition from your fathers. Old Testament. Verse number 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 11, but Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption 
for us. For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer and the sprinkling unclean sanctifieth unto the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, Old Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance, not yet to come. It's on its way. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. That is a last will and testament. Where a testament is in place, there must be a death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, this is no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. That was the lambs and the sheep and that. When Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to law, he took the blood of the calves, the goats, the water, the scarlet wool, and hit the, he sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. Now, we just, we just finished reading about all that. We ain't forgotten it, right, in Leviticus? And every day it was over and over and over about this sheep and that lamb and burn the fat and eat the meat and do this and do that. And it was over and over. And, and I, I don't want to be the only one in the house. So I'd somebody help me. And, and, and help me know that I'm not the only one. That was a little monotonous. Thank you. Thank you. I, I know I'm a heathen. But I just want to make sure I wasn't the only one. But do you see the importance of it now? Everything you read, every drop of it, it was all there. And Jesus came to fulfill all that so we don't have to. But not only that, he included the other sheep, us, into the process. Hebrews chapter 9, we continue on to verse number 22. He goes, says, almost all things by the law are purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in heaven should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands. He didn't go into that old tent that God told Moses how to build in the cloth. He didn't go into a temple made with hands. Not even the ones with all the gold and stuff that David built. Not a temple made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth in the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then he must have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is appointed unto men once to die, after this to judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Anybody included in the many? Thank you, Jesus. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. For those who have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, <clears throat> it is the blood of that lamb that speaks on our behalf, even as it cleanses our sins. Matthew chapter 26, at the Last Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Jesus is telling the disciples, this is the New Testament. This is the new covenant. You're, you're no longer going to need the rams and the lambs. You're no longer going to need the Levitical law. I'm about to fulfill 
all of that because my blood is sufficient for every sin of every man for every day for all of eternity. It will never fail. So I'm fulfilling all of that. So it purifies us. It speaks on our behalf. And it identifies us with Jesus himself as members of the family of God. But then one more. There are several more, but we're going to stop with justifies. It is the blood of Jesus that justifies. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12 says that Jesus sanctified the people with his own blood. Justification is to be free from blame. Anybody still with me? Anybody paying attention? I don't want you to miss it. I'm almost done. I want you to hear what justification is. This is important because the blood of Jesus Christ, Christ justifies you and I. Justification is to be free from blame. And you ready? Free from punishment. Here's why. It is to be declared innocent no matter what the evidence says. Oh. <laughs> it don't matter when the devil says, look what he did. And you're going to have to say, yeah, I did. And God said, I don't see that as washed in the blood. The devil said, but he committed this kind of sin. And God said, I don't see that as washed in the blood. He's been justified. It is just as if I'd never done it. So everything the devil tells, he ain't lying on me. He's talking about all my filth and all my trash and all my garbage and all my sin, all my failures, all my mistakes. He's pointing out things that I did. And God said he is justified, justified, never done it. Because when God looks on you and I, he looks through the blood. But, but it's not just the sins of my past. It's the sins of my present. The only thing that can justify us on this earth or in heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. When we stand before God, God's not going to be looking at the color of skin. God's not going to be looking at, at the, the, the origin where your beginning was. He's not worried about nationality. He's not worried about language. When God looks upon us, God is going to be looking for one thing, and that is the application of the blood. Now, because the blood is applied, we are justified, but not just justified from the things of our past. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So, so yeah, Romans 5, 8, God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On our worst day and our worst sin, all the way back before we were ever saved, Jesus Christ died for us then. That takes care of all the sins of the past. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Does that mean you don't battle the flesh anymore? Does that mean you don't still have the devil lying and whispering and pulling and tugging and snatching and trying to mess up your life? But, but, but what it means is that all things are, are new. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. First John chapter 1 beginning verse 7 says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from what? Man, somebody ought to do a lap right there. How many? Anybody got some sins in your life? How many of them are left after you're washed in the blood? None. Cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? Past, present, future. 
There is no condemnation to them who love Christ Jesus. It is the blood of the Lamb of God. Revelation chapter 12. This is that heavenly scene. And in heaven, in chapter 12, verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. One of Billy Graham's last messages. He said he was... Well, I'm, I'm sorry, he, he, in the last message when he talked about this, but he was talking about one of his first messages when he was a younger man. <clears throat> and he said that he was preparing to go up onto the podium to go up and preach, and, and a man came up to him and said, Mr. Graham, I have a lot of respect for you. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I don't remember exactly how he said it, but I'll, I'll read the part I need in a minute. But he, he said, I, um, I, I want you to know pe people will hear you. You have a good heart. You have a good word. You have a good presentation. People hear you, but, but I want you to understand something. If you plan to reach a lot of people, you're going to have to leave out the blood. He said, it was at that moment that I dedicated myself to preach more on the blood. And here's what he said. There is only one message that should change people's lives and hearts. And that is the message of the cross. Boy, this one right here is fixing to hit all of Hollywood and everybody out there. Not the cross that people hang on the wall for decorations. Not the cross that people wear around their neck or adorn themselves with jewelry. But the nail-scarred, blood-stained cross of Jesus Christ. Boy, it's no wonder the devil wants the blood taken out of the message. It is the blood that, that purifies. It is the blood that speaks in our defense on our behalf. It is the blood that identifies us as children of God and washes us clean and makes us new creatures in Christ. It is the blood of Jesus that, that justifies us and removes all guilt just as though I'd never done it. So, Billy Graham told this story during the message. And I want to explain something before I tell this story because this is, this is what it meant to me. Man, you guys come on up. You can go ahead and get ready. He said, <clears throat> well, let me give you some things before I tell you what he said. When we came to Jesus in our lost state, we were a pitiful sight, right? Well, I mean, we came in our brokenness. We came in our sin. We came in our filth. We came in our rags. We came in our disgust. We came in our unholiness. We came in our unrighteousness. We brought all of our baggage, all of our garbage, all of our junk. We were a sad state, right? But yet Jesus loves us so much that while we were yet sinners living in that state, that's the time that Jesus climbed up on the old rugged cross. <clears throat> During that state, that's the time that, that, that he shed his blood so that we might be born again. Born into the family of the kingdom of God. Now, if Jesus loved us that much then, he's sure not going to stop loving us when we mess up as children of God. You guys go ahead and stand up, if you will. Go ahead. You need to stretch your legs anyway. That'll give you hope that I'm almost done. If Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners, <clears throat> alienated from the family of God, then how much more does he love his children? How much more does he love his family? Now, now here's the deal. The devil wants you to believe that God doesn't love you. The cross has proved that that's a lie. Amen. What about on this side of the cross? Because there's Christians in here this morning. What, what about on this side of Calvary? What about on this side of salvation? Don't raise your hand. 
But anybody in here committed a sin on this side of salvation? Anybody did something against God on this side of the cross? Anybody did something on, on this side of salvation? And the devil won't let you forget it. You, you know, on this side, the devil will tell you things like, you knew better. Oh, it's one thing for God to forgive that old sinner. He didn't know any better. But you were a child of God. You went to church. You knew the law. You knew the book. You knew about the blood. You knew about what you're supposed to be living. And you just told God, you can keep it. I don't want it. I'm just going to do what I want to do. That's what you did. And the devil, the devil tell you, God can't use you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God don't want to hear from you. God, God don't want to hear what you have to pray. There's another proven lie because we just read it. Your prayer as a saint is in a golden vial in heaven. So God does care. God does want to hear. God does want to know what you think, what you say, what matters to you, what bothers you. And he also wants to hear, Father, I'm sorry. I messed up again. And you're not the God of second chances. We're somewhere around four and a half million right now. So I don't know how many chances you are, but you just keep on forgiving. You just keep on cleansing. You just keep on washing. See, the devil wants you to think that you don't matter, but that's not what God says. God can use you. God will use you. You can't mess up so bad that God can't fix you. And here's what I want you to know. You can't go so far away that God won't bring you back. You can raise, well, look at the story of the prodigal son. He was in the pig pen. And he found his way back. You say, yeah, but that's one of them Bible stories. It's like Abraham and all them. I want to ask you to just bow your heads right where you are. I don't know. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's not. I just, I just want to tell the story that Billy Graham told. You ready? He said that was a young girl who she ran away from home in her late teenage years, just about the age when she got old enough that she could leave home, she walked out. She walked out the back door of her mother's house because she did not want her mom telling her what to do anymore. One night after the boyfriend that she was living with had savagely beaten her and threw her out into the streets, bleeding and broken, ashamed and humiliated, she made her way back to her mother's house because she didn't know anywhere else to go. And she remembered what she told her mom when she walked out. She remembered that she told her mom she hated her. Didn't want nothing else to do with her. Just leave me alone. She remembered that, she, that she, she told her mom, it's fine with me if I never see you again. Yet in this broken state, she made her way back to the mother's house. Unsure what she's going to find. Bleeding and broken beaten from head to toe. She went to the back door of her mother's house, the same door that she walked out. She put her hand and she turned and the knob turned and the door opened. And she looked inside the house and sitting at the kitchen table, her mother was sitting there reading the Bible. And she said, mom, did you know that the door was left unlocked? And she said, since the day you walked out that door, it has never been locked. So that any hour of any day, you could walk back in that door. Because I love you. That is the gift of God. That is Jesus Christ. I don't care what the devil tells you. The door is always open. Jesus is always standing with open arms. The father is always looking in the distance for the prodigal son to return home. He will always meet you. Fall about your neck. 
kiss you, put a signet ring on your hand, or family robe about you. God will never leave you, never forsake you. You can't mess up. You are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God, and the blood says you are mine, and no one, nothing, no sin, no problem will ever take you away. It's no wonder. It's no wonder the devil wants the blood taken out of the book. It's no wonder that this dark, sin-cursed world that, that we're living in, that this, this blood-stained, bloody, filth game, sinful world, it's no wonder that they want to condemn the teaching of the blood in the church house. Because it is the blood of Jesus Christ that sets us free. And the devil knows that. If you've never been saved, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Regardless of the lies that the world and Hollywood and Scientology and everything else tells you, there is one way. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. His name is Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that will forgive you. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that will wash away your sins. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that will write your name in the Lamb's book of life. But it's up to you. Father, I am a sinner. There must be a confession of the mouth. You've got to find yourself lost before you realize you need to be found. Father, I'm a sinner. Everybody in this room has prayed something similar. It's not, it's not a poem. It's not a lip service. Everybody in this room that's a child of God at some point has said, Father, here's my heart. Here's my heart. Take it. I confess all my sins, and I'm asking you to cleanse me of all my sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Save my soul. And God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, said, Done. You're now a child of the King. Your name is written old things are passed away and you became filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment it's the Holy Spirit that will lead God and direct and counsel and, and steer us away from things that are wrong if you prayed and trusted Christ your personal Lord and Savior this morning you can go write that date down because that's the best day of your life you just changed all of your eternity you just made yourself part of those that will be in that story in Revelation you walked in here headed to hell. See, there was a part of our story that we walked in one day. We were lost. And there's a part of the story where death and hell was delivered and was cast into the lake of fire. That was our story. Until we confessed our sins. And one drop of the blood of Jesus Christ said, oh, that's passed away. Everything is new. Look over in Revelation at the end. At the kingdom and the 12 gates of a single pearl and the walls of jasper and onyx and the streets of gold. And most of all, look at the presence of God where the Lamb of God is the light and there is no night. That's your story now. Because of the blood of Jesus. Amen.